a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. final hours of Utah's legislative session. Tax credits for families, affordable housing, domestic violence, and school funding. This is a special edition of Inside Sources, live from the state capitol. Here are Taylor Morgan and Marty Carpenter on KSL News Radio. And welcome back to the state capitol, the Supreme Court chamber up on the third floor. Uh, we're into our final half hour of this show, and the clock is ticking not only on us, but on the legislature as we get down to 11.59.59 when they have to be done Hold on. and adjourn. 11.53 was the speaker's prediction. Well, that's what they're shooting for. And right? President Adams said he'll finish before then. So, so we're at 11.52 11 yes, or 52, right. 52.59, we'll and we could still get out of here. Uh, we're not officially taking any wagers. We don't condone that kind of thing. <laughs> Stop of by the old Supreme Court chamber <laughs> if you'd like to make <laughs> a wager. And, of course, everyone's just really optimistic at this point. Uh, my experience is every session, everyone's optimistic. We're getting out of here early at this point, And by, like, 10 o'clock, someone goes, yeah, we're just not going to get out happens. of here early. So we'll yeah. be here till midnight would be my guess. Uh, but a lot going on on the Hill and still a lot of bills on the board. Uh, and we've had both the Senate president and the Speaker of the House in here to kind of walk us through what they've accomplished so far and what they're still worried about. And, you know, the real bummer to this whole thing is, uh, from my experience as a member of the executive branch, is that this feels like the last day of school and then it will be over and the Capitol will be much more calm on Monday. But then all the work starts over again for the executive branch because the governor's office has to decide which bills to sign, which to veto, when to sign them and all of that stuff. So, uh, our, our condolences to our next guest, I guess, because you don't get to go off on vacation after this. Well, we want to welcome on Utah's uh, Lieutenant Governor, Deidre Henderson. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, you served in the Senate for eight years. You know this process backwards and forwards. And here we are uh, now at the end of what has been a very impactful, a very significant legislative session. Uh, we want to ask you about your highlights. What are some of the things that have happened this session that uh, that you think are very positive? Uh, obviously, the executive branch and you have taken a very active role in some very uh, some landmark pieces of legislation. So, can you walk us through some of the highlights, some of the things you're most excited about this session? Yeah, thanks. It's it's great to be here. It's great to have it be the last day of the legislative session. And you're right, uh, Governor and I don't get to go on vacation tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to be here. We've got 20 days to get. Get uh, bills uh, signed or not, and and then actually the hard work begins of mm-hmm. implementing all of the new laws that affect our executive branch agencies uh, before the next legislative session starts, and and that's the the, the piece uh, that's been fascinating and also terrifying to me um, on the executive branch that I didn't have to deal with as as a legislator. But uh, there have been some really significant pieces of legislation that have passed this year. Um, Some really, really good things. The legislature has done some incredible work. Um, Of course, we've got big things in water. We've got big things in housing. 
But I think some of the most impactful pieces of legislation that we have this year um, that will impact lives for, for good, I think, are surrounding domestic violence and some of our family uh, legislation um, that impacts uh, 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 families, uh, children, social media. Um, we've got some significant tax bills, some really exciting things that have happened in that realm um, that will impact uh, uh, families. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I want to ask specifically about the uh, this domestic violence uh, bill. This bill has now passed through both bodies, uh, the Senate Bill 117. It creates a shared database uh, of domestic violence incidents and also uh, creates a lethality, uh, lethality assessment, I believe. Can you walk us through that piece of legislation and why why you think that is impactful? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Sure. So a uh, lethality assessment simply is a series of very simple questions that law enforcement would ask the victim of um, intimate partner violence specifically, which is a subset of domestic violence. Intimate partner uh, violence occurs between, you know, people who are in a dating relationship or want to be in a dating relationship or a, a marriage or, or formerly uh, in, in that sort of an intimate relationship. Um, and that type of domestic violence is the most lethal. It is the most dangerous. Uh, these lethality assessment questions are very simple. Um, and depending on the answers, uh, the victim would be connected with victim services uh, so that they could uh, maybe put together a safety plan or get some resources that they need. Now, law enforcement since 2015 in the state of Utah, about half of our agencies started doing these in every situation that they come to where there's intimate partner violence, but the other half don't do it. And so this piece of legislation just requires that lethality assessments are conducted. Um, they are evidence-based. They're, they're proven to, to save lives, to identify victims who are at high risk of being killed. And then this shared database is, is critically important because law enforcement from one jurisdiction to the next may not have any idea that this person who's uh, causing a problem uh, has, has caused problems mm. elsewhere yeah. and, and is maybe escalating. So, so that piece, that uh, connecting those dots is just critically important. I think it will save a lot of lives. Uh, last year, there was a, uh, a bill that was passed and signed into law uh, that dealt with uh, period products in schools uh, for um, you know girls in our public schools, and that's sort of expanded this year uh, to include state buildings. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about about that legislation. Yeah, you know, it, it was uh, really surprising to me last year that the in a good way that the legislature would would get on board yeah, with yeah. something like that. Um, very common sense. We want girls to be able to stay in, in classrooms. You know, we don't we don't want. I'm the mom of four 
girls and you know I, we, we've had all of our our, our own stories um, so so making sure that schools have period products was really important last year this year um, governor announced yesterday that uh, we're going to be doing that in state buildings now it didn't require legislation didn't require anything in particular special we just said we're going to do it um, and and it's about time because yeah. you know we, every, every, every woman needs something like this every now and then and uh, and we want to support women yeah I want to ask about how you and the governor interface with the legislature during the session, having served in the Senate yourself. Uh, it, I get the sense this year that there has been uh, a very uh, po- proactive, very positive, constructive process, right, to legislation. Too many P's, I think, too much alliteration <laughs> there. But what, I, what I'm getting at, Lieutenant Governor, is that it almost seems as if the executive branch, that you and the governor have been working alongside the legislature in a less adversarial way this year. What would you say to that? Uh, we absolutely have. I mean, there's always a push and a pull between the legislative and executive branches. That's how it should be. That's the check and balance. But we're also all on Team Utah. We're all yeah. on the same team. And from the very beginning, this is our third legislative session as an administration. From the very beginning, we have been determined to work with our legislators and not against them uh, on, on as much as we possibly can. So we, we do have a very collaborative relationship. We, we take the time before we even do the governor's budget to make sure that we're under Understanding what priorities are important to legislators, we include as much as that as possible into the governor's budget, so that we can all share in those priorities. The last thing we want is for the governor's budget to become irrelevant, and what mm. what we have seen is that it has become very relevant. Yes. and and we've worked really hard at that. It's not relevant because we're getting everything we want and the governor's demanding this or that. No, it's relevant because we are sharing in the priorities of legislators. And when we help them, um, they, they also can help us with some of ours that might be a little bit different. But it's it's been a wonderful process. We don't, haven't gotten everything we wanted. Uh, you, no one ever does. Yep. And that's a good thing. That's part of the process. Yeah. Uh, as you've had uh, a number of years now in the executive branch, has it changed your perspective on the lawmaking process? I know, um, you know, my, my background was in the executive branch and it was easy to go, what are they doing up there? <laughs> and you started on the other side of that where you may be thinking, well, we're doing this and what's the governor's problem with this? I just wonder if your perspective shifted or was just enhanced a little bit when you suddenly had the experience in another branch of government. I, you know, I am so grateful that I had the experience in the legislature. It, it is very relevant and wonderful to, to understand on the executive branch what the process is, why legislators would think that, to, to respect the fact that they are the voice of the people. They, they're the boots on the ground. They're closest to the people. Um, but I also now didn't have any idea how much terror I might have inflicted on members of the executive branch when I was in the legislature. So, it, you know, it, there is that, that sense when you're in the legislature, you get to go home. And other people get to deal with what you did. And and now we're the ones that have to, to deal with that and implement it. And so we, we work really hard to make sure that we're, we're working with them and, and trying to uh, get a, a good understanding of what it is they're trying to accomplish and do whatever we can to help them with that. Yeah. So what does the rest of the day look like for you between now and sign a die, whenever that may be, certainly by midnight? Oh, you know, we just kick back, watch Netflix. (laughs) Perfect. Sounds great. Well, I I do. We have just uh, about 30, 40 seconds left. I want to talk election bills. I've never seen so many election bills in a legislative session before. Uh, I I feel like 
we haven't had any bad bills advance. Uh, has your office been involved with those, and, and what has been your reaction to some of the election bills? Yeah, we've been very, very involved. Uh, we, we've got, I think there's upwards of 50 at last count. I don't know. I, I lost count a couple weeks ago. But there there are a lot of election bills. I tell you, the ones that have advanced are really good. Um, we've, we've got some, especially when it, dealing with election administration and, and process, we've worked really closely with legislators to address some of the findings of the, the legislative audit that came out last year that really found no systemic problems. It was a yeah. It was, it was great, but there were some little things here and there that it identified that we could be doing better, and, and we're very supportive of those efforts. So um, we think overall it's, it's a, a real success when it comes to election bills this year, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing our good work in, in the election space. Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, thanks so much for your service and thanks so much for taking some time on a busy and exciting day on Capitol Hill to come and hang out with us and uh, spend some time with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. All right, we're heading into our final segment. When we come back, we'll wrap some things up, some final thoughts on the legislative session. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.